Welcome to part two of the beginning of KNON, an interview with Wade Rathke by Dave Chaos, part of our series of KNON History podcasts. In this part, there is a train coming through and it's KNON, a labyrinthian tale of the voice of the people and its rise against all odds. Where did the idea to start KNON come from? We were doing a campaign in Little Rock to win lifeline utility rates. Now, what lifeline utility rates were was going to be a fixed amount that you paid for 400 kilowatts of electricity, which would benefit low-income people. They wouldn't be cut off, and senior citizens, other people on fixed income. We tried to win it at the Public Service Commission in Arkansas. No soap. In Arkansas, you had the ability to do initiated petitions, and you could do them on a city or county level. So we felt that there was a way that we could force, it was called Middle South Utilities at that time, not Entergy, which is what it's called here now, and uh, Arkansas Power and Light, that if we could put a proposition on the ballot for lifeline utility rates, and if we were able to win at the ballot box, we could force that to be the policy in Little Rock and five or six other cities where we move the petition at the same time, Hot Springs, Fort Smith, Pine Bluff, et cetera, et cetera. Well, bitter, bitter fight, a lot of lawyers, whatever, the only one that actually went to a vote was in Little Rock. And we felt like we were in pretty good shape. Uh, I put together a canvas to go out to, you know, southwestern neighborhoods where we didn't have much organization, but we felt were key in terms of winning. In the last two weeks of the election, Entergy just dumped hundreds of thousands of dollars in advertising to try to beat us. Now, we ended up winning the election, but there was a lesson there. We couldn't compete on the streets, on the ground game, so to speak. In a field, we can compete, but we couldn't compete in the air wars uh, because we didn't have enough money. We couldn't buy the advertising and TV time. About that time in 1975, in uh, August 5th of 1975, the organization had expanded earlier that year in January to South Dakota, and we're, we were expanding to Dallas-Fort Worth at that time. And the two organizers, uh, one was a married couple, but uh, Meg Campbell started the organization in Fort Worth, and her husband, Steve Holt, started it in Dallas. They'd been there a couple of months, five, six months, about, so that was 75. This election was in the fall of 76 on uh, the lifeline rates. They'd run into a community radio station being put together called KCHU, K-C-H-U, uh, which was 100,000 watts. Uh, it was being organized largely by a guy named Lorenzo Milam, and it was a community radio station. They were bright young organizers. They had approached Lorenzo and said, could we have a half hour, hour show for ACORN? And he said, sure, because he was one of these, you know, let a thousand voices, you know, on the air. Um, the Johnny Appleseed of community radio. Absolutely. He's going to be, he's going to be important in this story of Canaan's history. Um, so they were on the show. They were, they put the show together. They were on every week. Um, they got to know Lorenzo, and community radio at that point was a wild affair. Um, it was really a lot of thousand voices. It was all, you know, 
any voice is legitimate on the air. It was more eclectic. It was anarchistic, you might call it now. Uh, so it was volunteers and volunteer run usually, but it was also, uh, there was no clear governance. So there were often conflicts in community radio stations all around the country where, you know, one group would want to push out another group or some people like so-and-so music or whatever. Um, and KCHU, KCHU was uh, an experiment, it turned out, for Lorenzo, um, as I got to know him and find out more. But on, on your specific story, Meg and Steve kept saying to me, next time you're in Dallas, you really need to meet this guy because, you know, you know, there might be opportunities for us to do more with community radio. Maybe that's fine. And, and after the experience of the election, even though we won the election, we were having issues, you know. I missed, you know, I didn't bother to take, uh, I went to Dallas and Fort Worth pretty regularly just to see the growth of the operation and make sure we were on track. But I didn't make much of a priority to visit with Lorenzo until after that election. And then it seemed to me that maybe if we had access to something like KCHU and Little Rock and in other places where we were organizing, maybe that would make a difference in these campaigns because there would be a voice for low and moderate income people. Um, so I can't remember when, but I said, yeah, um, you know, let's see if I can meet Lorenzo next time I'm in town. So you said KCHU was an experiment of sorts for Lorenzo, and how was that? So as you mentioned, um, a couple of sentences ago, he was sort of the Johnny Appleseed, if you want to call him that, of community radio. He'd been, you know, Los Gatos, uh, you know, K and WDNA or K whatever it was in St. Louis. So they'd set up. Uh, he and uh, Jeremy Landsman had been sort of the engineer and other volunteer with him. Um, they'd sold a station that they had started as a non-profit, non-commercial on a commercial dial in St. Louis. And they sold that station for a significant amount of money, which is partly how he started other stations because they had the money from that. And he was in uh, KRAB in Seattle and some of these other, you know, historic, you know, alternative community radio stations. And they'd always done it sort of on chewing gum and bailing wire and masking tape, you know, um, just getting by anything they could do to get on the air. So uh, their big, his big experiment in going to Dallas, here you had 100,000 watts, it was going to be a hugely powerful station, was to try to do it on the Cadillac version. He was willing to spend up to 100,000, get the, instead of having the equipment that you had to glue together, he was going to get the best equipment, have a studio, and see if they could make a go of it going top of the class as opposed to bottom of the barrel. And he had some money from the sale, but he wasn't, and you know, he'd had polio as a young, as a young adult. Uh, well, he was in college, 18, 19, as I remember. So he was on crutches, whatever, he'd gone through that. Um, but, and his family was, I think, a middle income or upper middle income family in Jacksonville or wherever in Florida. So he wasn't starving to death, but he wasn't rich, you know, boundlessly rich. Um, and at the point that I met him, the experiment was not going well. Great station, 
great equipment, powerful, you know, they had the tower was still probably where it is now, Spring Spring Hill, where is it? We're at Cedar Hill now. Cedar we Hill. Had, we yeah. had moved from that original location. Okay. So, I mean, they'd done what they needed to do to, you know, have this powerful megaphone throughout the Metroplex, but he wasn't a manager. He was a visionary. He was uh, very cultural, very artistic. His politics weren't bad, um, but that wasn't, you know, sort of what moved him. And the, the politics of those stations were such that you privileged every voice, but you didn't necessarily privilege organization or something that was political like Acorn was. I mean, so we had our show, but there were a lot of shows that would be directly opposite that. And there was, you know, shows that had an audience of, there's an expression in India about political parties, about a party of one. You know, almost anybody can say they're a party. Well, you had a lot of shows of one. <laughs> where, you know, uh, it was Tibetan-Egyptian music combination fusion or something like that. Sure, I, mean, I, don't, sure. I, I don't want to say something because it almost makes it seem like I'm... So some of the music was great, but it didn't necessarily have necessarily a big audience. audience. Yeah. Yes. And uh, as we know, Dave, you, you do have to pay the utility bill. Um, well, audience is very important. Audience is important. And uh, there was a confusion... And certainly in the early days of community radio, and to some degree it's a confusion that's never really ended about whether or not the audience was more important than the host or the hosts were more important than the audience. And this was a, this is a management problem for community radio stations. And uh, Lorenzo was somebody who wanted to be everything to everybody, um, wanted all these voices. I mean... Uh, love music, period, um, and wasn't necessarily somebody who could manage this thing he'd built. Um, and that was a problem. And how did Acorn become part of the movement from KCHU having a talk show on KCHU to bringing the rebirth of KNON out of KCHU. Well, the birth KNON from KCHU. So, so this story now gets, uh, hang with us here on this, because uh, uh, this is a labyrinthian tale now. So Lorenzo had an idea. He was running out of money. He had to do something with the station. He couldn't keep paying the bills, and he kept warning all of the DJs, they'd have mass DJ meetings and he'd say, you know, uh, something's got to change. And they would say, no, no, we, you know, we don't want to do this. We don't want to do that. And Lorenzo sort of invented listener pledge drives. If you ever look at the history of community radio the, way back in Seattle and, and California. So he then was very impressed with Meg and Steve uh, on their show because they were they were well organized. They were disciplined. They showed up on time. They did the show. Um, and uh, they were, you know, smart young folks. And so he, uh, part of the reason that uh, I was meeting with them is he had approached them about whether or not they would be willing to manage the station, KCHU. Well, 
that just seemed uh, pretty much a bridge too far. I mean, they were organizers building organizations from scratch. It was crazy times. We were, you know, um, none of us really had thought about how you'd put together people to manage a station like this. But, you know, we didn't say no. We didn't say yes. There'd have to be some agreement because we didn't know how to herd all these cats among, you know, this uh, group of DJs they had. And um, we weren't sure that'd be possible. Well, he put that notion to, he told, at a meeting of all the DJs, he brought, Meg and Steve forward and said, you know, his proposal to uh, somehow bring Acorn in to manage the station and wanted the support of the DJs. And the DJs voted no, absolutely not. They wanted to still do their own thing and they all wanted an equal voice and we can work it this way or whatever. And he called, you know, he wasn't bluffing. He's said, I just don't have the money, and he pulled out of the station. So for a while, um, they would rejected us having any role in the station, uh, but we had, I think we had a board member or two on the uh, Agape board, which was a, the Agape Foundation was a license holder for Keichu. Um, Agape means love in Greek, as every case. Is that why that name was chosen? Yeah, sure. Agape Broadcasting? You know, Lorenzo always named it either by some notion of his or after somebody he thought was a heroic, uh, you know, sort of a iconic god of radio. So the Fissenden Foundation. I mean, he had, if you look at some of the names of some of these early groups, they were all early founders of, you know, radio tubes. Or, so Lorenzo you know. chose the name Agape Broadcast. Oh, absolutely. Foundation. Absolutely. Yeah. Agape means love. Exactly. Um, and that's that was part of this, this the issue as well is that there were a lot of I mean this was the early I mean this was the seventies uh, or whenever we were yeah it must have been the, it was seventy six seventy seven in that period so you're still coming off the sixties there are people you know uh, working out sexual realities uh, you know the sexual revolution of the sixties and um, for those people who were uh, more inclined to homosexuality or something like that, this is the first sort of stirrings of people being able to to operate in that way, in a public way. Um, and Lorenzo was gay, and so there were often, uh, and he did have polio, uh, so he was an advocate for um, the rights of people who were differently abled, and he was... Uh, you know, he was older by far. I mean, he just died at 80, so he must have been 15, 20 years older than I was. I'm not sure exactly, or 15 probably. And there, so there were a lot of politics that I, at the time I had no idea, you know, what. I mean, when I first uh, met Lorenzo, uh, they, I had a meeting with him, but, you know, it's some, one of his routines was you were invited to dinner at his house. Well, there was a collection of people, all men, um, and, you know, I'm not that much of a social guy or whatever. So they had this, uh, not asparagus, but you started, it was, a, you know, the meal was sort of complicated. And now I can't remember. <laughs> I'm sort of swallowing the line here. Yeah, but they all well, waited for me to 
eat this first thing, and I didn't know how to eat it. It was one of the one, so I turned it over to start cutting it, and you don't eat it that way. You pull off the leaves, and it's a California dish, and now I can't remember what the heck you call it, but everybody had a good laugh on that. But it was, you know, uh, there was complicated politics that I could tell something was going on but couldn't really follow, but whatever. Station went dark. He pulled the plug. I mean, they tried to run it themselves uh, as sort of a community of hosts for a couple of months, um, maybe six months uh, or longer, until there was just no way to pay the bills. He said he was pulling out. He pulled out. He moved. So they were on their own. We tried to keep our little show going, but, you know, we weren't running it. And people clearly had rejected any leadership from Acorn. So it went under. It went. The station went dark. And... That's sort of death in radio world. You go dark. Off the air. Yeah, yeah. you got to have a pretty good reason. It's got to be a tornado or <laughs> something like that. And to, you don't want to go more than 36 hours even. In and you don't want to not tell people. And they weren't telling anybody at the FCC in uh, Washington, D.C. They were off the air either. So they just went dark. We watched the situation closely. The head organizer in Dallas at the time was a, a great young man named Terry Andrews. And so Meg and Steve had gone on. I forget where. I think they left the they You know, things change. Time goes forward. But at that point, I was, uh, you know, Lorenzo had helped us. I mean, he, when I'd met with him, and even though the, the K2 thing went down, um, uh, he asked me what I wanted. I needed a station in Little Rock. So he got Jeremy to do some engineering. He said, maybe there's a frequency available. And they found a frequency that was available if we filed for it at 100,000 watts in Little Rock, Arkansas. And he also asked me for a favor at that same time. This was in 77, 76. They had a construction permit in Tampa St. Pete, in the Tampa area. And there was a guy named Arnie. I can't remember his last name right this second as we're talking. And they were within the last three, three to four months before the CP expired. He'd gotten it renewed. The three years was out. He'd talked to him. He'd gotten this, Lorenzo had gotten this guy to move down. He was some college radio kid in New York or whatever. He'd moved down to Florida. And he needed somebody who might be willing to take over that construction permit. Was I willing to go see if I could get this guy, Arnie, to give us the construction permit, and he knew we were organizing in Tampa, St. Pete, and you could try to have a station in. Head organizer in Florida at that time was a guy named Dewey Armstrong IV, and I flew into Miami. We drove to, he knew, all Lorenzo knew was this guy's name, and he had a girlfriend at one of these sort of all-night diners that was in St. Pete, somewhere near the beach. So you guys went on a search for him? Went on a search. Supposedly he met her as, uh, when her shift changed or when the place closed down at 1 o'clock in the morning or midnight or whatever. So we, Dewey and I, showed up there uh, and then laid in wait for him in St. Petersburg on the beach until we finally found this guy, Arnie, and talked to him on the beach and, to make a long story short, got him eventually to agree that he'd let us have this uh, construction permit. Uh, he still had a you know, some people on the board and whatever, and we would put a station on the air, which became WMNF. So, and they're still on the air. They're still on the air. That's a story in itself, and we don't have to go there. But 
back to Dallas. By that point, we'd had some experience. When the station went dark, we'd had some experience. We had an application in Little Rock. We were building the station from the ground in Tampa St. Pete. And so I was still pretty fixed on the fact that Dallas was a huge opportunity. We needed to somehow get K2 back on the air. So as I mentioned earlier, we had these two people who were on the board of the Agape Foundation, Arquilla Smith and Leon Gowans, who were longtime ACORN leaders, you know, had been ACORN leaders at that time and were ACORN leaders virtually until they passed away. Certainly Arquilla Smith is a name you oh, I'm sure know. Legends of Ganoin. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we had those two people. And I just finally told Terry, I just, you know, uh, we got two people on the board. The board had seven people. There was, you know, one or two other people who we knew. One was a legal aid lawyer whose name I can't remember, or a guy, and another was a woman. I want you to have a meeting of those four people. We'll send a notice to whoever was on the record as being the other three or four board members. And if we can get a board meeting together, we'll reorganize the station. So we went through the changes. Uh, we gave notice to the, board, the other board members who'd opposed, you know, who were there when it went off the air. They either didn't respond or whatever. Um, we then reappointed new people on the board. So we then vacated their seats and reconstituted a board. Did we really have a majority then, but do we have a quorum? Probably not. But we just bogarted it through. We said, okay, you are now the board of the Agape Foundation. There was nobody to nobody say opposed. we weren't. Huh? Nobody necessarily opposed, though. Nobody opposed, and if they did nobody oppose, if they, if they did oppose, there was a train coming through with my name on it, and we were going back on the air. Uh, so we then uh, reached out to this lawyer, told the FCC we were off the air and we're, you know, coming back on, we needed some time or whatever. Um, and so we then started the process of getting back on the air. We had a problem, though. We'd been off the air long enough that somebody else could file on that frequency. And that's what Reverend Criswell did from the second, the giant whatever it is, First or Second Baptist Church, they had a radio station that was also, you know, non-commercial and was only, you know, 60,000 or whatever watts. And so they filed on our frequency. So we are then caught in a mess. We're trying to reorganize the station. We weren't going to go through the, the call letters of KCHU. Um, we came up with KNON. How did you come up with Ganoin? Boy, I wish I could remember. <laughs> you know, getting you know call letters in the FCC is almost a, uh, the path of least resistance um, because so many people have any combination that would spell into an acronym or whatever um, that you end up with uh, you know crazy names that mean something to you or whatever. And I, I imagine. Canon was basically sort of, we weren't something else. We were going to be this. And it was going to be a voice of the people station and uh, whatever. But 
however we did it, KNON was available. We grabbed it, and um, we then were caught in a FCC dispute with Criswell and uh, Baptist for who, whether or not we could successfully come back on the air and whether or not they could take our the power on our frequency. And how did the station... Artichoke. That was... It was an artichoke. It was an artichoke that, uh, <laughs> you know, you can't roll it over and cut through an artichoke. You have to, you know, peel off the little leaves of an artichoke. Well, you know, my dad was from California. He probably knew what an artichoke was, and Lorenzo had been out in California. I had no idea what an artichoke was. You were was. artichoke challenged. I was, no, I was artichoke ignorant, not challenge <laughs> ignorant. So I had never seen this thing. Um, and uh, they all had a good laugh, but that was artichoke. Sorry about that. That concludes part two of the beginning of KNON, an interview with Wade Rathke. Don't miss out on part three, the final part of our interview with Wade Rathke, where we discuss KNON's first home, the legendary White House of East Dallas. Continued artichoke perspectives, the people there at the beginning of KNON, how the funding was raised to start KNON, and more. Support KNON now by making your pledge at knon.org. Your support will make more of our podcasts possible. Be sure to note in the comments box the name of this podcast.